Hey, you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. People to share on, uh, on love than them. So if you guys would please welcome them as they come. Come on, guys. Do better than that. You could do better than that. Thank you guys so much for honoring them. We're going to have you guys up here for this service. <laughs> it's about to not be cute, so. <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to, I want to pray before we get started for a moment. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to exalt your love. So our desire is to lift up your name, to lift up your beauty. Since in your beauty, nothing else matters. There's no room for fear in your beauty. There's no room for anything but what is in your heart, in your beauty. Father, I just ask you to anoint our hearts that that the words of our mouth would be an accurate reflection of the love that you've poured into us and continuing to pour into us. That we would build your kingdom through self-sacrificial love, that the building blocks would continue to be laid down. Thank you for, for using us. Thank you for your testimonies. Thank you for the ability to share. Thank you for story. A few minutes ago, I saw a uh, picture of sun rays breaking through clouds, and it looked like it might look on a, on a sunrise if there were some clouds still in the sky. Uh, the clouds were being colored by the sun, and then there were those rays that broke through and just fell on, the, on faces of, of God's beloved. They were just looking and waiting, just soaking in his warmth, his heat, and the beauty that comes straight from his heart. And I just sense what the Lord is saying. Look to me. Look to me if the beauty of my heart is resting on your faces. The beauty and the love that I have to give you is resting on you. It's pouring out of me and into you. There may be clouds, but the darkness, it doesn't last. The darkness cannot stay in my light. The clouds cannot block the mighty love that I have to pour out and to give you. There's nothing that can stand up against it. There's no weapon that can prosper against my love, says the Lord. No matter what's going on, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, the light of his love is breaking through the clouds and falling and resting on you. Anything to add? <laughs> Before we get started, I wanted to kind of lay a little bit of foundation, kind of destroy any pretense of um, invulnerability or um, super Christianity or some kind of superiority. Because I, I recognize that sometimes when, when uh, people get up to share, um, there can kind of be an assumed super significance about them that sharing stories or surviving or thriving through tragedy isn't for everybody, that only certain people can, can do that. And I want to kind of dispel that. I, I, I want to destroy that because our desire is to be completely transparent, real, raw, and open with you. And I want to share just a few things about the journey getting here uh, and, and what kind of that was for me. And so we started... Um, attending here about a year and a, a year and a half, something like that. Been a while now. And shortly after we started attending, Kara said, "You know that she hadn't approached for anything by you or Destiny, but she said we're going to be sharing. We're going to be asked to share our testimony." 
And my reaction at that point was, oh. <laughs> and then about a week and a half ago or so, Gio approached us and he asked us to share today, and my reaction was, oof. And then uh, even yesterday, Destiny asked me when we were ministering up in Bushnell, she said, are you excited to speak tomorrow? And I said, inside, I think I said something different inside, I was like, oof. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. We have shared our, we've been asked to share our testimony many times. It's been a little while since we got up here together and shared, but we have, we've been invited to speak at different places when you shared the testimony. Um, but testimonies of tragedy to restoration are hard. The hard part is the tragedy, you know, the beauty and victory and the restoration and the things that come after. But when you are asked to walk through something traumatic, like we're going to walk through the most traumatic thing that I've ever walked through uh, today, it costs something. There, we risk something when we do that. And that's felt because it's, we're, we're asked to remember. We have to go backwards and remember that. And in some ways, live through it again, oh, in some ways, uh, and, and feel some of that again. So it's, it's a real sacrifice. And so I just wanted to make sure that, that you recognize that that we are not up here as a display of, of never feeling any, any pain. Even, even today, the testimony that we're going to share goes back to 2008. And even today, there's still times that every now and then I'll get punched in the stomach from it. It's just, it's just really, even though there's been such an incredible path of healing, sometimes these things they still are painful to think about. So the question then is, you know, why do we share? And I feel like the Lord highlighted three reasons to me that I want to share with you. The first one is that Gio is making us. No, I'm just kidding. You still have to, Destiny, you still have to laugh at all my jokes. You know, in both services, you have to laugh. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. He's not making us. Um, the first reason that he highlighted is that the, the desire to love without shame is not just a personal core belief, it's an abide core belief. That's what we do here. Uh, we love without shame. We love beyond hurt and wounds. Uh, we, we love at risk to ourselves. That's what self-sacrificial love is. And we love you. And we want to share a story that we hope will touch your hearts because we know that we're all walking through things. There are things that we are all dealing with. Sometimes there are things that have happened in the past that we're still dealing with. Some things are yet to come. But we walk through things. We walk through trials and we walk through struggles. And that love that we have for you um, enables us to share so that you may be overcomers as well. And not just overcomers, but builders. That you would be able to see the beauty come from whatever ashes have fallen in your own life. The second reason that I feel like God highlighted was Revelation 12, 11, and that's the passage that states, they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, and the what? Word of the testimony. There's power in a testimony. We need testimonies. We need your stories, because they yeah. sow into the hearts of the people that are walking through things just like you. They are the things, story, testimonies of God's victory in your life. They are the strong towers at times that we look to and that we hold to, to know that we're not alone when we walk through things. To know that there's people there who have experienced it before, not, not just surviving, but actually thriving in the process. And these, sharing these stories gives others courage to share their own. And that's what we hope is real for you today one of the things that is real for you today, that you would take away the courage that already exists inside of you to share your own story if and when God leads you to do that. Because people need your story. We need your story. So, uh, kind of a, an outline of where we're going today. We are going to be tying our story into the extravagant love of God. That that, that love without shame, that love that reaches down beyond the surface into the deepest, most parts, the innermost parts of our being, and, cause, and births life there. 
And we're going to break this into two parts. And the first part is going to be focused on God's extravagant love for us, how God loves us without shame. There are certain parts of our journey in which God revealed his mighty love for us that was without shame, that deeply affected how we were able to deal with what was coming. And then the second part is going to be our extravagant love for each other, which is only possible because of God's extravagant love for us. Undoubtedly, there will be some of each. You'll most likely be able to draw connections in, in each part of both of those. But that's the way that we've structured this, and that's what we're going to kind of focus on. So um, before we get into the part one here, we're just going to kind of let the cat out of the bag right away so you know what we were dealing with. So I'm going to let Kara talk about that for a um, So I, I never know if I'm going to get, like, sloppy because we, we have shared this testimony a number of times. It had been a while up until, gosh, I think, like, like three months ago. I knew that because we we've been on 700 Club. We wrote a book blah, blah, blah. Um, but then it was like there was a season that we didn't share our testimony for a long time. And that's because we had not shared our testimony with our kids. They weren't yet at an age to where we felt released to share our testimony with our kids. So it was within the last few months that we did that. And then God since then has released um, a couple op opportunities for us to share. Actually, I shared twice. And then this is our first time since then, since our kids have... Um, heard our testimony that we've had the opportunity of sharing together. So, you know, I just don't know. The last two times I got sloppy, the first service, I was okay. So, we'll see. Um, yeah, Jesse actually got more emotional than I did, so that's new. Um, so, back in 2008, really the beginning of 2008, I started praying that God would raise Jesse up as the spiritual head of the household. I was raised in a more conservative background. So in my mind, I thought, like, have him lead us in a Bible study, like pray, you know, before bed, that kind of thing, like super basic, su super simple. That's all I wanted. And instead, um, Jesse had this radical encounter with God, started talking about things like the prophetic and speaking in tongues and stuff that I was like, that is of the devil. And so... <laughs> um, it's super amazing to watch, but at the same time, quite honestly, it freaked me out. I'm like, no. So I felt like at that point in my life, not, not consciously, but I had this crossroads that I had the ability to either go hard after God, like, just, like Jesse was doing, um, and kind of meet him up in that, but I was terrified. Um, and then, you know, or if you don't know, here's some truth, you never stay complacent in your relationship with God. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. That might be tiny steps. That might be big steps. Um, so it was in that season of my life that another opportunity was presented. The enemy came and was presenting um, an opposite opportunity. And in 2008, I fell to, um, I had an affair. And so I, it wrecked me because obviously I knew better. And um, a whole nother, a whole nother talk would be sharing all of the things that led up to how it was possible for me to fall in that way. Because as most of you know, decisions like that are not overnight. It's a buildup of choices that you make that lead you to dark places. And um, so I did. I, I, worst decision of my life, worst season of my life. Um, but pretty quickly came to repentance and started realizing that where Jesse was at didn't seem so crazy anymore. <laughs> um, what he had going on in his, you know, whatever seemed like to me like religious craziness was much better than the place that I was in. And so I started at that point seeking hard after the heart of God and wanting more than I had ever known or experienced before and started pursuing those things for myself. He had been going to um, Operation Light Force, which deals with inner healing, just had had this, that's a whole nother thing, his experience and his journey up to that point. Um, and so I was like, I need that. Obviously, there are things inside of me that, that need to be worked out. And so I started going without divulging to anybody what I had done at that point and got some amazing inner healing. Again, still hadn't confessed. Um, 
to anybody, had repented to God and gotten some amazing, um, some amazing healing there and started asking God, is this enough? Is it enough that I've repented to you or do I need to confess and repent um, to Jesse? And so I'm praying, I'm like, God, if this is what you're calling me to do, then I need you to make it abundantly clear. A lot of that and the next, for the next few moments, we're going to share um, just how God impacted our hearts with his extravagant love during this time to prepare us for, for what was coming. And she, Kara, shared some about um, her experience in healing and how God impacted her there to prepare her for the time that she would confess. And uh, for me, the end of 2017, I did have that radical experience that Kara had alluded to, and it radically changed my life. And I started to pursue inner healing, and like she mentioned, we went to, I went to Operation Life Force and met with Richard Mull. And one of the most significant things that happened in early 2008 was the, the blockage of emotion in me was destroyed. I was, up until that point, very good at one emotion. That was anger. I could do anger very well. It was no problem. I knew what that felt like. I knew how to call that up. I was very good. I was an expert at anger. But I could not feel anything else. Uh, there were numerous times that things happened to, in, in which, in that moment, I realized I should actually feel something about this. But I just could not access any of the emotions. And early 2008, the wall was destroyed. The emotional wall was destroyed. And I began to feel for what felt like the first time. And I remember, I recall around that time, uh, there was a local pastor who had passed away in a, a plane, in a, in a plane crash. And I remember that because for the first time I could ever remember, I was able to access grief and feel sorrow for that. That was such a foreign thing to me. And it really, honest, truly felt like I, was, I had been born again, and experiencing these things for the first time, that I was finally alive. And that is such a beautiful testimony of the beauty of God coming and impacting me for, for that, to teach me that. And one of the, the main principles that I took away is that God wants to prepare us for the things that we'll encounter in our lives. He wants to give us the tools that we need to be successful. It's what a good father does. Perfect father wants us to have the tools that we need to be able to deal with, not just survive through things, but thrive through them when we face the hard times, the struggles and the trials. To be able to give us, to sow into us and pour into us and give us those things. If we're willing to receive them, he will always be ready to do that for us. And to look back on that, of course, in retrospect, I was able to see that. And what an amazing example and testimony of the beauty of the love of God in my life in that moment. And because I know he wants to do that for every person in this room, a beautiful testimony for your life in any moment that you face. The pinnacle in 2008, as far as my experiences with the love of God, came when I was at the fire station one night, and I was spending time with him. This was in the summer of 2008. And I, I had a vision of a wave on a beach crashing over the beach. And then the wave receded, but the sand remained saturated with that water, and it never dried out. And the Lord began to speak to me. And I had never, up until that point, really understood what it meant to be loved unconditionally, that I was uh, loved lovable, that I was accepted, that, there's, that my identity was, that, was as his son, beloved. And I knew that because I used to say the words all the time, yeah, God loves me. But it was, up until that point, it was never something that, that became my identity. And he began to speak to me when I, as I was seeing this vision, and he said, my love comes in waves. My love comes and it crashes over you in waves, and, and there's this experiential knowledge that comes Behind that and in that, he said. But then the wave, the wave recedes. Even when the wave recedes, the sand still stays saturated. So you may not always feel the emotional high of being loved with a perfect love, but the perfect love never recedes. It keeps 
that which saturates, fully saturated forever. It never goes away. And from that moment, I began to walk with this new reality of, of just how loved that I, I was. And it just affirmed the, 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 the breakthrough that I had received as far as being able to be emotional. Uh, because it just made it that much more powerful. And I was, and I was uh, set in that. And the Lord sturdied my feet on that. And I was steady in that. So as we move into later that year, uh, we'll fast forward to October of 2008. Uh, the Lord had continued to, to work in my heart and move. And to teach me new things and to grow me and mature me in that love. And I was upstairs uh, spending time with the Lord. Kara was downstairs watching TV. And I began, I saw this vision and it was Kara standing on one side of a, of a crevice, of a, a, an expanse. And Jesus was on the other side. And uh, what I sense the Lord was saying was that, that it's time for her to cross the expanse. It's time for her to, co- to cross the chasm. That the bridge is being raised up. That God is raising up the bridge from her to go to, from one side to the other. And so he said, I want you to go downstairs and share that with her. And so I didn't know what I was saying. I was like, oh, okay, you know, sweet, I got a, I got a word. I'm going to go give that word. And so I had her stand up, and I, and I gave her the word, and she gave me no indication that anything what I was saying was impactful at all. So I'm talking to her, and she's not giving me anything back. I'm like, well, whatever. You know, I, I did what I was supposed to do. You know, so who knows, up from, from here on out, it's, it's a whatever. And so we sat down on the couch. I ended up sitting down there. We sat down on the couch, and I heard the Lord speak the word defiled. And it wasn't defiled as far as anything that, that makes up an identity. Uh, it, he wasn't, it wasn't a word that was attached to anything about being unworthy or unlovable. It was just simply something, something has been defiled. And so I turned to her, and I said, I just heard the Lord just spoke the word to me, defiled. Does that mean anything to you? Nope. I was like, all right. I did it again. I spoke out what I thought I was supposed to, whatever. You know, okay. Yeah, so I, as I said, I had been praying that God would make it abundantly clear if I was supposed to confess or not. And that I had started praying that probably three days before he came downstairs and gave me that word. So internally, I was wrecked. Externally, I had to keep it together because I knew that moment wasn't the time that I needed to, to kind of process through a little bit more how, um, to, how to share. And so I, everything he said, I was like, I knew that it was God. And I'm like, how crazy that God would use my husband to be the one to deliver that word. So it, it, I had to kind of keep it cool. Um, but I started praying at that, at that time, like, okay, if I'm supposed to do this, then when and how? And then I also started um, asking God for assurance that Jesse would stay. I'm like, okay, I can do this, but I know that we had said in premarital counseling that if there was ever any infidelity, we were gone. Like, it was done, no questions asked, it was over. So I knew this, but I also saw just a radical transformation in Jesse, so it was like, just uncertain of what the outcome would be. And God told me no. He told me he was not going to give me any assurance that Jesse would stay, that if Jesse chose to leave, he basically had every right to leave. And I, I understood that. Um, but going into it, I knew, and I had to process through that the choices that I made could have consequences that affected the rest of my life, but I knew that God was calling me to do this clearly. Um, And so he asked me the question, if you lost everything, because all I ever wanted was to be a wife and a mom, and that was on the table now. I was risking losing everything, risking losing my family, my friends, everybody I loved, everybody closest to me. Um, But he said, if you lost everything, would I still be enough? And I I had to process through that, um, but I felt like, Okay, yeah. Even if I lost everything, I would still, I would still make it. Um, and after I had that assurance that at least God wasn't going to leave me, and I felt His presence in a super, supernatural way throughout this entire experience, that like you can't, you can't take that away. Um, but then I got super bold, and I was like, okay, well, Jesse's attending these prophetic classes that 
He's invited me to go to a number of times, has come home with all these like amazing prophetic words that completely like hit home. And I'm like, weird. Um, but I was like, you know what, I'll go. So I was kind of using this as like my fleece. I'll put out this fleece. I'll go to this prophetic class. And if these people are really prophetic, they'll call me out. And I was ready. I was like, bring it on. I'm, I'm done wearing the mask because that's how, I don't want to say that was ever taught to me, but that's, that was the life. When something bad happens in your life, whatever, you put on the mask. How are you? I'm great. You know, right? If you've been around church long enough, you, you know. Um, and so I was over it. I was, I was done with it. And so I went to this prophetic class, and the exact opposite of what I expected, expected happened. Um, I got word after word after word after word about being pure, about being undefiled, about being, um, people saw me in visions as a little girl, running free in fields um, in a white dress, um, dancing and just free. And that wrecked me because it was God speaking to me that though I had made choices that would defile me, he is speaking, no, your identity is that of purity. Your identity is that of a little girl who's free. And that gave me the confidence and security that I needed to be able to walk with that identity, but still making the hard decisions and facing the consequences of the choices that I had made. And so I spent another couple of days, I fasted, I prayed, reached back out to Operation Lightforce, had another ministry session, um, shared what I had done, and then asked Richard to be there with us for Jesse when I confessed to him. And so that started, um, that started kind of like the next phase of um, me confessing to Jesse. Yeah, so we're going to, for the next, for the remaining time, we're going to um, talk about the extravagant love that we were able to show to, to each other, but I just wanted to kind of briefly recap and just emphasize just how extravagant and unashamed God was to impact us with his love through my experience that summer preparing me for what was coming, for Kara uh, leading her through the healing experience and then to the prophetic class where she was ready to be exposed or what she had done. Uh, and instead, not only did God not do that, but he affirmed who she really was, her true identity. Yeah. Uh, God is not out to expose us and to tear us down and to embarrass us in front of others. He's there for our success. He wants to build us up, never tear us down. He wants to see us uh, enter into the abundance that he has for us. Just... I just, I just wanted to emphasize just the goodness of a perfect father in that. Doing whatever he can do to show us who we really are. Doing whatever he can do to show you who you really are. And to give you everything that you could ever need, want, or desire. So that night... Um... That night, um, Jesse was out fishing, and I called him and asked him if he, um, if he could come home, and I told him that Richard was going to be coming over, and that um, I had to share some things with him, and he immediately started, like, firing off questions, like, oh my gosh, is everything okay? I'd recently had a doctor's appointment, so he was like, did you get bad test results? Like, what's going on? I'm like, just wait. Please just wait until you get home. Wait until Richard comes, and so um, <laughs> I shared in first service, Richard was late, so I still may need to forgive him for that because that was uh, <laughs> the waiting part uh, was traumatic. But then he, so Jesse arrived home, and I guess had called Richard, and he'll share more of his side of that, but had called Richard and came home and was firing off questions, the anger, the, the you know, bitter, bitterness, all of that was understandably all over him. And so we had this conversation. Um, and then it was like, he couldn't do anymore. Neither of us could do anymore. And so he just went outside until Richard, um, until Richard got there.
I, there, I somehow had, I knew when I found out that uh, Richard was on our, his way over to our house. Um, if you, Richard Mole, he, he uh, runs Operation Life Force. Uh, some of you may know him. But I, there was just something in me that knew. And I, I had forgotten about that, but I did ask, because I knew she had a doctor's appointment, and I asked that question first, because honestly, I, I was hoping that question would be it. You know, as opposed to, no, I had an affair. Um, that was the worst thing I could ever imagine happening to me, actually, at that time. So I ended up calling Richard, and I asked him, I said, why are you coming over to my house? And he didn't want to answer that question. And I said, did she cheat on me? And he said, let me just get there. And that was, that was it. I'm, I'm still not real sure how I made it home. Uh, in, I wasn't in one piece, I know that. Uh, I got home and walked in, we had a few moments, and uh, I ended up asking her a bunch of questions like she had said, and she gave me the answers, and I left and I started walking down the, the street. I don't know where I was going, but I was, I was out of there. And that's when Richard was driving down the streets, and I got in and I was, I was undone and... and telling him, I don't, I don't have to stay, I don't have to stay, and he just took it all. I mean, he didn't respond, he just kind of soaked it in. Got back to the house and walked in, and I went to the bedroom, and uh, Richard had followed me in there, and he said, I know you're going to walk through this well. And I got a little angry, I was like, what, what does that even mean? You walk through something like this well? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> Thanks a lot, buddy. So glad you're here. Um, but it's, the, it's those seeds that are planted by people who are willing to speak life into you. Yeah. The, the people who you choose to surround yourself, and, and I just want to place some emphasis on this at this point in the story, is that when we walk through things, when we walk through difficult things, we have a choice on who we're going to allow to be around us, to who we're going to allow to speak into our lives. And we need to surround ourselves with people who are willing to speak life yes. into our circumstances, yes. who are willing to stand there at the edge of the pit and instead of getting down there with us and wallowing in the misery, to reach in and pull us out. So I just want to encourage you, when you're walking through things, difficult things, surround yourself with people you know who are not going to go down a destructive road with you, but they'll stay and they'll challenge you and they'll speak truth into your hearts and get you to see clearly. And that's what Richard was for us in that night. He wasn't the only one. And I remember him saying to me, he said, are you ready to, after I, I had vented and I was angry and I was, I was letting it all out, and he said, are you ready to hear what God has to say? And I looked at him and I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I am not interested at all in what God has to say. Because I knew that if I said yes, he was going to ask me to do something I had absolutely no interest in doing. So I said no. And Richard said, okay. And I was like, what else can you say? If somebody doesn't want to hear from God, that's kind of the end of the conversation. And so he, he ended up leaving. He he stopped and talked to Kara a little bit, and then he ended up leaving. And um, I felt this emotional wall start to return. The old familiar emotional wall, the old familiar bondage, I felt it start to lower over my heart. It was real, and it was tangible, and it was almost like it was alive and breathing, and I could feel it start to crush my heart again. And it would have been so easy in that moment to just let it come down and block out everything that I was feeling in that moment. It would have been so easy to do that. And I heard the voice of the enemy say to me in that time, he said, see what happens when you allow yourself to feel. See what happens when you allow yourself to be vulnerable. Just look at what happens. I told you. I told you you need that wall. And like I said, I could feel it start to come down. 
But because of the goodness of God, because of His great love that pursued me all that year and gave me the tools that I needed and showed me what life really is, I was able to keep that thing from coming down. I knew, I knew that there was no life back from where I had come. I could see it clearly in that moment, that there was no life back there. Only life was ahead of me. If I went back, that was going to be the death of me. And I could see it. Death and life. There were two very, very clear options for me. I was able to make the choice, and it had to be a choice out of my own will to force that wall back up. And that meant feeling every little bit of pain that came. I had to make the choice to feel it all. But like I said, that's where I knew life was. I couldn't go back to the way that I used to be. I couldn't go back to the desert. I couldn't go back to Egypt. I couldn't go back to the past. I had to keep that thing open. There are moments in all of our lives that we face this critical decision. Are we going to choose life or are we going to choose death? Which way are we going to go? Because God is standing there and saying, I have the way of life in front of you and I've prepared a path for you. And I know this is terrible. I know this is awful for you. But there's no life behind you. There's no life in the old way. There's no abundance in the old way. And I'm asking you to choose me. I'm asking you to choose to keep your heart open so that I can pour my abundant love into it and heal it. And in these moments, these are the moments that can shift your entire life to change everything for you, to set you on a course of healing, to put you in the best possible position to be successful and to not just survive, but to thrive in the midst of tragedy. And it's hard. It's so hard. But I'm standing here today because I chose life. And I've seen God work through this story and change lives because I chose his love. And you can do the same thing no matter what you're going through. You can do it. You have the strength to do it. The courage is already within you to do it. It was because I kept that wall up that there was a supernatural breakthrough of grace and love. And Kara was standing there. And it was only because of that, that grace and that love sheltered me from the pain long enough to where I was able to open my arms to her. And as she came and we held each other, I was able to say, I forgive you. And she said, why? And I didn't have an answer. All I could say again was, I forgive you. And she said to me, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Whatever I need to do, I will do. If that means moving, then that's what it means. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And I said, the only thing that was in my mind and on my heart in that moment was, I want you to forgive yourself. That was only possible because of the miraculous supernatural love and grace that God deposited in me in that moment. And the shelter that he placed over me from the crushing pain. But like I said, those are the moments. And then when that was done, the pain came, and I left and went to my parents. So after he, um, after Richard came in and, and they talked in, in our room for a little bit, Richard came out and talked to me and said, um, just opened his Bible. He's like, I have nothing, I have nothing to say to you, but God gave me John 8. And he read John 8 over me, um, where Jesus 
goes and defends the woman who was caught, caught in adultery, and they were wanting to stone her. And Jesus drew the line in the sand um, and got down with her and said, um, those who are without sin, cast the first stone and go and sin no more. And so he read that story over me and said the same thing to me. He said, I believe you're going to walk through this well. And I'm like, like, I don't even know what to do from here. But, you know, in those moments, you can feel lost, but God will give you the next step. And um, in that moment, too, he used Richard and said, I feel like you need to go in the room, um, you know, and just be with Jesse. But I was scared. Honestly, I was terrified. That was, that was the scariest thing in that moment to do. But I went, and that's when he had the grace on him, the, the Jesse that walked through the door initially with the anger and the bitterness and the hatred had transformed, and I saw the eyes of Jesus in him at that moment um, long enough to have that time together and feeling like, okay, like we can do this. But when I was telling him, um, I'll move, I'll do whatever it takes, like for me that was huge because I had always said, like, I will never move out of Florida. We even established that in premarital counseling. And so when I was saying, like, I'll do whatever it takes, I don't care, we'll move to Alaska, we'll move anywhere, like, you know, whatever I need to do to make this work. Um, but he asked me to do something harder, and that was to forgive myself, which took, it took a while. It was a decision. He chose to forgive me that night. I chose to forgive myself that night. But from there, it was a journey, and a journey that I wasn't prepared for. Because in my understanding of forgiveness, forgiveness meant you say you forgive and you move on. Like everything else is just kind of swept under the rug and you just keep living. Um, and so that was my understanding. So when he told me that he forgave me, but then said he needed to leave, I'm like, where are you going? Like you forgive me, but you're still going to leave me? Um, and then he told me he was just going to go to his parents' house for the night um, and that he was staying. So when he told me that, I really, truly felt, as crazy as it seems, that like we were good, that he forgives me, and we're going to just move on from here. Um, I pretty quickly found out that was not going to be the case because he went to his parents', home, parents house and then came home the next morning, and then we kind of took it from there. Yeah, I had, to, I had to leave that night and go to my parents. Uh, making the choice to forgive is, is the first thing. Uh, then you have to deal with all the pain. And uh, as we discovered, you know, it, sometimes it takes continual forgiveness. Multiple, multiple times. But on the way to my parents' house, I had you know, all the thoughts. I was going to stop and, and get revenge and hook up or do whatever. Um, never really got close to that. I ended up at my parents' house, and the, again, whatever you can do to make sure that you're surrounded with people who will speak life into you is so critical. And my father, over the last however many years, has been one of those people for me. Uh, he was a pastor for 20 years, and there's a lot of wisdom that he has and carries in him that he's able to speak to situations, I guess, in my life. Uh, some of the best things I ever heard him say were to me and some of the most challenging things. Uh, he seems to save some of that for me and when he wants to, to get me. <laughs> but uh, he, he looked at me and said after we had cried and, and shared and um, they had just, they just sat with me and I had started to rant about, about, you know, at least I never or, you know, uh, how, how bad is she, or you know, whatever I was saying. And my father looked at me and said, you know, you don't have any right to the moral high ground here. And I was offended. Like, how, how dare you talk to me that way? Of course I do, because I already climbed up on that mountain and planted my flag on the, high, the moral high ground. That was mine. I didn't, I'm not the one who did that. But he said to me, he said, what makes what she did any, any worse than the things that you have done? And I didn't have an answer for him. Like, what can you say when somebody says that to you? Like, well, I just left. <laughs> nothing you can say. I'm out of here. This is not going the way I wanted it to. <laughs> but it's those seeds that are planted. It's those seeds that God uses in other people to plant in you that continue to be watered and give, give birth to something later on that can help 
process and help break through the things that are keeping you back and holding you back. And that was a very important seed. My mother, also after I was talking, I had a conversation with her and I said, well, I guess just, it's just me and God then because I can't trust anybody. It's just me and God. I was ready to throw relationships out the window. Uh, I'll just go the rest of my life and I know that God's never going to leave me in and I can trust him, so that's good enough for me. And she said, well, that's really too bad. I said, what do you mean? So you, you're just going to write off relationships for the rest of your life and never trust again? I said, well, yeah. There's another seed. And over, the, over time, I began to understand just how relational God is and just how much of a priority and importance he places on relationships. I need people yeah. in my life. I need Kara in my life. I need intimacy and vulnerability. I need accountability. God, it's, in, it's incredibly important to him that we have each other. He's relational in his nature. We need community. It is not an acceptable option to go off in isolation. We need each other. We need to reach out to each other. And that's something that I had to learn. After betrayal, it can be so difficult. But it's not something that can just be thrown away. We're missing so much if we do that. I'm going to share a little bit about that first weekend. Yeah, so, well, like you was saying, too, the... Um needing people. It's interesting in first service, it was smaller, but it was harder because some of the people in first service were some of the people that walked with us through those times. And we were not easy friends during those times. We had had to set up strict boundaries around ourselves, around our marriage and things like that. Um, and so having those instrumental people in your life that will speak truth to you, that he said that you won't, that won't get down to the pit with you. Like he he could have easily listened to friends or people, and I could have easily listened to friends or people um, saying, like, you should just leave her, you should just go, whatever, um, speaking against what God is calling him to do. But he chose to listen to the people that were speaking truth and life to him. Um, and so the next morning when he came home, I was still under the impression that, like, okay, but you've forgiven me. Like, we're done, right? Like, we can just continue on in our life. And uh, it became real obvious to me the second he walked in the door, actually when we talked on the phone that morning, that it was not, that was not the case, that we had a lot of work to do. Um, and so his parents came home, came to our house and picked up our kids and took them for the weekend. And we jumped right in. We dove like head first into pursuing and seeking healing. Um, you know, there are definitely times that God will just miraculously restore and miraculously heal and praise God for those times. There's other times you got to walk out your healing. And for us, that was that, was that season. Um, that weekend was critical. If we didn't take that weekend and dive headfirst into it, we may still be together. We may be surviving, but we wouldn't be thriving. So when people say, you guys are so cute, I'm like, heck yes, we are. Because we fought for our marriage. Like, I, I'm okay with that. But I also... Like, don't look at my Instagram pictures, don't look at my Facebook pictures, and think they're so adorable, <laughs> because until you've known what we've walked through, and that we've fought for this, I'm not impressed by cute on Instagram, and I'm not impressed by cute on Facebook. Until you're real, and you've walked through some crap together, whatever. <laughs> and not to say, I don't, I, not for a second do I believe that it was God's will that I did what I did. I absolutely know that that's not the case, but he will take it and he will use it if you will honor him in it. Um, I believe that God wanted this without that, but he'll still take it and use it. Um, so that weekend we went again, um, he had gone and I had gone separately to, to you know, experience like the inner, inner healing process, counseling, whatever you want to call it. Um, but then we went together and we experienced an even deeper level of that. And one of the things that during that time, um, her name's Cherie, super raw. I, I love raw and I love vulnerable. I used to not. I used to be able to be really good at wearing the mask. I can't anymore. I will walk up to somebody like, hi, my, hi, my name's Karen. I've had an affair. Like, 
I don't care anymore because if God's going to use my crap for his glory, then so be it. Um, but she, this lady's like this, and she told me, she's like, I just see a vision, and it's of crap, and God is going to take your mess and use it as fertilizer to birth a fruit-bearing tree. And I'm like, it doesn't make sense to me right now, but I receive it, again, a seed. He planted a seed um, through the mouth of somebody that we chose to listen to, and I held on to it. I'm like, I'm, for whatever reason, believing that God's going to use this and birth something beautiful out of it. So that was one of the things that, for me, I mean, there was a lot of amazing things, a lot of really hard things, but you got to embrace them both. Yeah. Um, we're going to wrap this up for you guys. There were a few things uh, after that first weekend that stick out as very significant to mention here. Uh, now, there's so much in this story that we could literally spend an entire service talking about one aspect of what God did. There's just so much, and you have a, a nine to ten month journey. There's so much that God does in that time period um, that you'd love to share. But I uh, can't keep you guys here till midnight. Yeah, so. But um, one thing was, in that first weekend following Kara's confession, I would, the kids were with my parents, and I was upstairs spending time with God, uh, which, I was, which I was fine with because she was downstairs, and I didn't really want to spend time with her. And God said, you need to go downstairs and spend time with Kara. And I said, but I don't want to do that. And he said, but I'm asking you to go downstairs to spend time with her. And I said, but I don't feel like it. And he said something to me then that I'll never forget. He said, if you wait to do things, if you, if you wait to do things uh, until you feel like it. I always mess this phrase up. I, I always get it backwards and stuff. But if you only do things when you feel like it, you won't ever do things. If you wait to forgive until you feel like it, you won't ever forgive. If you're going to wait to go downstairs and spend time with Kara until you feel like it, you won't ever go spend time with her. And that really struck me. And so I did. I went downstairs and I spent time with her. And it was another one of those things that really sewed into our path forward. Um, one of the other things was I was having a, a, an intense conversation with God, and, and I needed this for my, for my healing and my ability to move forward. Sometimes when we're going through things and we are presented with a choice, sometimes we feel by our own theology about God or by our, our upbringing and what we learned is acceptable to God and what is not acceptable, we feel trapped. Uh, for example, I was asking God, do I have to stay? And my fear was that if I chose to leave, then I would be walking out of any abundant blessings that he had for me, that he would turn his back on me, and that I would not be able to experience the abundant life that he has for me. And when I asked him that question, he said, he said, absolutely, you're free to leave. He said, you can leave, and I will still pour out my unfathomable love upon you. I will still fully saturate you with my love. I will still cling to you. And you will still be blessed. He said, but I'm asking you to stay. Will you stay? Because if you stay, I can do so much more. I can do so much more with your story. He can do so much with our stories. We had battles with bitterness. We had battles with things that would continue to rise up, pits of despair, depression, suicidal thoughts. And then we had the other side. We had the experiences where we were talking to each other in ways we never have, good ways. And we were seeing each other in ways that we never had before. And we were diving into intimacy in ways we had never experienced. I was seeing Jesus in her for the first time and she was seeing Jesus in me for the first time. And those are victories. That is the beauty that comes from the ashes. And the, the victories that, that we have lived through now, yet there's, there's been a book that has come out. She mentioned that we had been on the 700 Club. There are, there are people that have been affected and, and moved by our story, and God has used our story to help others who are in similar situations or in different situations. We're all 
we each walk through things differently. We each face different struggles and trials. But there's also the individual testimony. And man, isn't that, isn't that what we're, we're pursuing, that oneness with Christ? That love, that beauty inside of us that, that rises up, that calling out, that longing that exists in us to be one with the Father? That maturing, that beauty that just rises and expands until it encompasses everything inside of us. That it shines through. That brings us to the depths of His love that we've never experienced. And that is a story, that is a victory in this story. Because that happened for me, and she can speak for herself, but that happened for her too. That she came to know the love of the Father in ways that she never had. I came to know the love of the Father in ways that I never had. And when that happens, it's not only for our individual benefit, although that's huge, it also draws others into the life that Christ has. Because like I said in the beginning, our story is not just for us, it's for all of you as well. Because everyone can draw on the stories of victory that God has, has pulled us through and, and, and encouraged us through and held our hand through as we've walked through them. Yeah, so um, like I said, it was, it was a struggle for me to understand, to know and understand and wrap my mind around the healing process. Um, but I came to understand that if I looked, it, praise God, he doesn't show you the whole journey sometimes, right? Because if I knew before I confessed that we were going to have a nine-month battle for our marriage, like truly, we battled for nine months for our marriage. Um, if I knew that it was going to be like it was, I don't know that I would have committed to the journey. But in the moments, when he's there with you in each moment, you have the grace to keep moving forward. So forget the distance, because that's irrelevant. Let him show you. Let him walk with you through, through the moments. He's given me a vision a number of times throughout my life, because life doesn't start being, stop being hard like when you've walked through something. Like There's other hard things that happen. Um, but he's shown me so many times a pathway. And there's a path ahead, but you can't see it all. Um, but there are pavers. And with each step, it's like those, I don't even know if it's a thing, but when you step on them, the pavers light up. And he's like, all I'm asking you to do right now is take one step. And that's the grace of God. That's the grace that he gives you the one step in the moments. Um, but it was interesting for us because it was a solid nine months. And I think it was when we were doing an interview one time. And she asked us, like, how long the journey took for us for the healing process or whatever. It was on our anniversary trip the last time that he took, um, took a trip, I guess, to the pit of despair. Um, we had both kind of been there. And, and at different times, like, he was there and I would pray and lift him up and vice versa. But the last time was on an, an anniversary trip that we had. And it was nine months. And she's like, that's how long it takes to birth a baby. And so it was just interesting, the completion of that for us. And since, there, since then, like, of course, there's times that it's still hard, that we still remember. Even now, it's, it, you know, we get emotional talking about it. It's like, but for me, anyways, it's like watching a movie that's really sad, but I'm not, a, I'm not attached to the pain of it because I know that's not my identity. It's something that I did. It's a choice that I made that had consequences, but it's not who I am. Um, so... Yeah. Amen. Come on, wasn't that incredible? I just love uh, the vulnerability that took place because to show someone like what, to, sh to show that what you went through, it's, it's a lot. Like he said it, um, you know, yesterday I did ask him, like, hey, are you excited to talk? And he responded a lot more excited than what he did for you guys. He was like, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So I believed him. I had no idea that he had this battle going on. But I loved what they were talking about, that intimacy. So, so many times in the church, we equate intimacy to sex. And like, that's just the thing. We're like, intimacy is sex. But intimacy is not sex. And sex does not equate love. Because if sex equated love, prostitutes would be the most loved people on the planet. 
but it's, it's not that. But intimacy, if you break it down, I think it's Bill Johnson. He says, intimacy is into me, you see. I'm letting you see all my wounds and I'm revealing myself. And so I love what they did today. They showed, they showed you guys parts that are just so sensitive. And they just said, they didn't just say, hey, look at it. Okay, like, yeah, here, we're a mess. Like, anyone can say I'm a mess. But they said, look what God has done. Look at the work that God has done. And I just believe the Lord, you know, if he'll do it for them, he'll do it for you. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so what he's done in them, he'll do again. And so I just love that. So I'm just going to pray over you guys. If you'll just put your hands over your heart and stand up on your feet. Father, we just thank you for the story of restoration that took place today, God. We thank you that you are good, Father, and that you care about us. And you, what a, what a good work you have started. You are good enough to finish, God. And we thank you for every work that has been started in this house, God, and every work that is here to be completed, Lord. We just thank you for restoration and families, God, that families we will be whole, God. We just thank you that this is just the, a story of your goodness and your grace. And we just honor you this morning and we worship your name. We just thank you in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Guys, we're, we love you so much. Continue to uh, lift Pastor up in your prayers. We love you guys and we will see you again next week.